The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the book of 1 Corinthians. For more information about our church, for more sermon audio, or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, good morning, church. Uh, First of all, I am so glad to to just be back with you this week. As Craig mentioned, uh, last week I had the privilege of of spending all week with church planners in Orlando. Um, I got the privilege to spend time with these guys who who are just passionate about God's word and and about reaching pe- people with the gospel. Um, just some really truly incredible people and stories, and I got to share ours as well, which was just incredible. Um, But so many times, I just had to stop and just thank God. Um, I just looked around at all this because it is so incredible to be a part of um, God's family, a child of God, to be a part of a vibrant and real gospel ministry, to be a part of the church. Uh, I just had to stop and think, wow, we get to be a part of this. Um, As I got home and as I process through the week, which by the way, I am an introvert. Anyone here? Anyone? All right. So you're going to feel my pain on this. Um, this introvert, all right, spent sun up to sundown with people in conversations with people and meetings with people, such great stuff, but literally church 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., right? For several days straight. So, one, I am way too old for that. I think I was born too old for that. Um, Two, this introvert was tired. (laughs) But, but, hear me, hear me. I am not complaining because uh, this introvert also has an amazing wife who cared for three, our three crazy boys alone while I was traveling, right? So uh, her level of exhaustion was here. Mine was here. No comparison, right? But as I was processing uh, my time in Orlando, I just, I thought, and I actually wrote this down. I need to tell our church. I need to tell Stone Oak Bible Church. I need to tell us. Our God is good. He is real. He is powerful. And he really meant it when he said that he would build his church. He really meant that. Oh, throughout our city, our community, our nation, our globe, God is building his church and we are a part of it. We are a part of something so incredibly huge. We're a part of it. We're a part of the church. Um, we are a part of, of a movement that Christ himself started, that the Spirit himself empowers, and that God himself will sustain to the end. I love our church. I love, 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 love um, being a part of what God is doing here. And so I am excited to be able to, to dig back in to 1 Corinthians together. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 4 this morning. And while you're getting there, 
um, Craig did an absolutely fantastic job last week unpacking the first uh, portion of chapter four. If you didn't catch it, I, I really, I recommend that you go back and you hear it. God's word is so good. And, and Craig really did uh, a great job of setting um, up our time together this morning. As Craig mentioned in our letter in 1 Corinthians, Paul's tone, all right, Paul's tone has definitely shifted as we get into chapter four. So how many of you love, I mean, just love confrontation? Anyone? Anyone? If anyone's hands up, pray for them because that's weird, right? None of us love confrontation. I mean, some of us are better at it than, than others, but none of us love it. Uh, none of us. We don't love confrontation, but, but, but so many of us do love to witness confrontation when it involves other people, when it involves someone else, right? Uh, it's like that feeling we get when when an employee gets called into the boss's office. We know something's going down. We know it's not going to be good, right? We know um, that someone's about to get it. And it's that weird attraction we get as we sit at our desk and we we feel this urge to maybe reach up and turn down our music so maybe we can hear <laughs> hear what's going on or maybe you know we don't really need water but you know now's a good time to go get water so we can maybe walk by that boss's office to hear what's going on anyone am i the only one here that's nosy i don't i don't believe you for a minute <laughs> because we all enjoy being a fly on the wall and we can approach this letter a lot like that. The Corinthian church just got called out and Paul is, is just laying it out for them. And we get this weird opportunity to just be a fly on the wall uh, for that as we read this letter. Uh, Paul, in verse 6, look at verse 6. He just begins to call out the pride that he sees as they are puffed up one over another or puffed up against one another. And Paul just lovingly reminds them, guys, you're not awesome. God is awesome. He is good. He is gracious. And he's been good and gracious to you. And he reminds them, everything that you have is given to you by your gracious and your good God. So why are you living and boasting like you didn't just receive it freely? Right? In verse 7, Paul's sarcasm starts to, starts to come up a little bit, right? Um, you, 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 I find that this letter, that, uh, that this chapter, especially this verse, makes a lot more sense when you read it with a, uh, a little bit of a, a snarky sense to it. And it starts to make a lot of sense. Listen to this. Well, you, Paul says, you have all that you want. Well, you, you have become rich. You are already kings. Oh, 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 that we humble apostles could share in ruling with you. You hear that? You hear it? And, and while you were kings, we apostles, Paul says, we have committed ourselves as servants and stewards of God. We've experienced weakness, struggle, persecution, hardship. In fact, we were reviled and we blessed. We were persecuted, yet we endured, right? You see all that? 
Paul's reminding them what God has called them to. And then, and then, now, verse 14, our verse today. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed. So I didn't write this to shame you. That's not why I'm saying this, to, to, to shame you or to make you ashamed. But, Paul says, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So Paul just lays down this rebuke. And then Paul says, look, I'm writing this to gently rebuke you, to gently correct your thoughts and your, and your ways so that you can follow after Christ. Paul says, you've made yourself kings. No, 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 church. You are not the king. You are a servant of the king. You are the king's steward. Paul is admonishing them um, because they were starting to forget. They were starting to forget who they were in Christ. And worse, they were starting to forget who is truly king. See, in elevating themselves, in elevating other leaders as they were doing, they were forgetting who they were in Christ and they were de-elevating Christ, who is the one true king, the one true master. And Paul says, I write this to gently, gently rebuke you and to church to steer you back. Now, as flies on the wall here, as I read this, uh, as I read this, as I studied this this week, and I just started to get this really weird feeling. <laughs> it was like I, I just started to get this feeling that this gentle rebuke that I was witnessing was actually a gentle rebuke for me. And here's what I mean by this. As I read this, I just realized... I realized something. There are not many of us that can read this, who can read what we just read, who can read this and say, well, it's a good thing we don't do that. It's a good thing that this gentle rebuke doesn't apply here, right? It's a good thing we never live like we are kings. Like this is all about us, like it's all about our kingdom. It's a good thing we never approach God and each other like this. It's a good thing that we never turn this whole king, servant, steward thing completely upside down the way they did. It's a good thing. As a fly on the wall, listening in on this admonishment, listening in on this gentle rebuke, I begin to realize something. I begin to realize that this is exactly what I needed to hear. I felt like God was saying directly to me, Justin, you are no king. This is not about your kingdom. Everything you have is mine, period, everything. And this was this gentle reminder and rebuke. Everything you have has been given to you, so steward it well. What happened is this fly on the wall just became a convicted fly on the wall. You know what I mean? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, church. Our constant and never-ending and ongoing struggle and temptation, the thing that you and I are going to face on an ongoing basis is our desire to place ourselves on the throne and to use God to our end. 
You're going to have this desire to place yourself on the throne and to use God to our end, rather than looking to God on the throne and being used by God to his end. We get that flipped upside down and we desire to place ourselves on the throne and to use God to our end. That's it. That's our struggle, church. And I want us just for a moment to think about this more deeply because I want us to be able to see, um, just to take it out of theory and to see how this can apply to us. Let's think about our careers. When we begin to think that, that our careers, when you begin to think that your career is about you and about you getting ahead, when you, when your career becomes about you being quote unquote successful, you have missed it. For us to see our careers like this just does not make sense in light of this text. If we truly believe God's word here through Paul, it would be absolutely confusing to chase the world's view of success in our careers. Because what is success? Well, Paul has told us, he says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful. As a follower of Christ, your success is faithfulness. And this isn't just in your walk with Jesus. This is true in every area of your life. All that you do, there is no success outside of it. Church, we have our jobs we have our jobs as unique opportunities to be faithful and to glorify God in them and with them. That is your purpose in your job, regardless of what you do. This is success in your job. Whether you sell things, manage people, build stuff, pastor a church, whatever it is, faithful is successful. And when we make, when we make church, when we make our jobs and our careers about us and, and about what, whatever we define success as, we will not, we cannot find lasting success. Sure, we can find what is viewed as successful in the world's eyes. But as Paul has already told us, who is the judge? Is it you? Is it other stewards? No, no. The judge, the king, is Jesus Christ. And what's he judging on? As Craig said last week, what is the rubric? Well, what we just read, we are judged on faithfulness, and therefore, true success cannot be found apart from him. In church, we know this. We know this. We feel this in our hearts. In fact, so many of you represented in this room, if I were to just let you guys come up here and share your story, so many of you would share in your testimony stories about how pursuing success outside of Christ is bankrupt. At the end, this pursuit of the world's success just 
really just becomes this socially acceptable way to, again, live into the desire to place ourselves on the throne and to use God to our end. Imagine, church, imagine living your career in whatever your field, whatever it may be, living into your career with a bigger purpose. Not as though your career were all about you, but imagine living into your career as a steward of the king, knowing that one day, church, one day, you will stand before Jesus and you will give an account, knowing that faithfulness in the eyes of the king is what true success is. And that your job is an act of worship to your king, because that's what it is. Let me give another example. Let's think about our relationships. So it's easy, it is so easy to begin to think that our relationships are about us, is it not? We look at people in our lives and we evaluate them based upon the return on investment. Do you know what I mean? We, we often make and we pursue friendships based on the benefits that, that we will receive from it. And hear me, if, if you were the one on the throne, then that would be perfectly acceptable. But here's the problem. You are not. The problem is, of course, the fact that our king has told us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The problem is that the king, our king, has said they are going. The world is going to know that you are mine because of your love for one another. This is going to be it. This is going to be the distinguishing mark. Your love for one another. And the fact is, church, that the world is not going to come through our doors and, and look at us and see us each looking to get a return on our investment and our friendships and think, whoo, there it is. That's love. This is, no, no. Because that's not the love that Jesus was talking about. That is not the relationships that the king calls his stewards to have. And God, have grace, have mercy, and help us when this mentality uh, creeps into our marriages and our marriage relationships. There is only one throne. And when each spouse tries to keep getting up there to sit on it, it makes the relationship so difficult to maintain. But when we realize he, Jesus, is on the throne, he is king, we are servants and stewards, and not even our marriage is about us. Not even your marriage is about you. I mean, let me just for a moment here, let me speak to the men. Your call in your marriage is to love your, your wife like Christ loved the church and gave his life for the church, his bride. That's it. That's your call. So, so your marriage is not about getting her to make you happy. 
Your marriage is about you loving her and giving your life for her as an act of obedience and worship to the king. Talk about joy in marriage. When two people stop, they stop competing to sit on that throne. And instead, they submit to Jesus who sits on that throne. And they realize that even their marriage is not about them. In every arena of your life, the temptation will be to place yourself on the throne and to use God to your end. Because of our sin and our, our brokenness, our default setting apart from Christ is pride and selfishness. Let me put it like this. Our default setting, our default setting is to think too much of ourselves, too little of others, and to make our God too small. This was the struggle for the church in Corinth all those years ago. And church, as we are flies on the wall in this gentle rebuke, this is our struggle today. We are convicted flies on the wall. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, listen to Paul's next words. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul here is picking up a theme that we have already seen. It's a theme, uh, that, that child-father theme. We got a glimpse of it already when he, when he said, my beloved children, right? And now he says, although you have many guides, I have become your father in Christ through the gospel. So what's happening here? Here's what I want to put before you. Here's what I want to put before you this morning. Here's what Paul is setting out for us to see. And oh, 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 that we as the church, as God's people would see this. Paul is rebuking them, right? As we've seen, he's just, he's letting them have it, right? So I want to ask you, what right does Paul have to do that? What right does Paul have to do that? What right does he have to just come down and, and to rebuke them like this? Some of you are like, well, he was an apostle. I'll give you that one. I mean, Paul was kind of a big deal, so I'm sure he had every right to call them out, right? Um, but hear me, church, there is more going on here than that. Here's what I want to lay out before you this morning. Paul here, Paul is establishing a discipleship structure in the church in Corinth. Listen to this. I urge you, verse 16, be imitators of me. Verse 17, this is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Verse 18, some are ignorant uh, or arrogant, sorry. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Verse 19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power or lack thereof. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Now we'll come back to that one. 
But do you hear it? Do you hear it? I mean, seriously, do you hear it? Paul is setting before them a pathway of discipleship. He says, be imitators of me, meaning look at my life. Look at the way that I lead my life. Look at the way I, uh, look at my devotion to Christ. Look at the way I follow Christ. Look at the way that I deal with trials and struggles and persecution. Look at the way that I deal with my own weakness as I follow Christ. Look at me. Watch me. Not because I am perfect, but because I lean on Christ in my imperfection. Because I love Jesus, I follow him, and following me is following him. Be imitators of me, because I am devoted to Christ. In other words, Paul looks at this church, new in the faith, learning how to follow Christ. And he says, look, 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 church, I'm a few steps ahead. So I want to pour into you so that you can know Christ better. That you can serve Christ better. That you can love Christ better. This is a letter written by Paul as a discipleship tool. Paul was discipling this church. Oh, there is so much here, but I want to highlight three things. Number one. The discipleship process. So a few weeks ago, we set before you a discipleship process that we call one up, one down, many around. It's a simple idea. Uh, it's an idea that you'll see all throughout the New Testament, um, and it, it, including our text today. And it starts with one up. This is someone in your life who's a little further ahead in their walk with the Lord than you are. In our text, Paul refers to this as a, as a father-child relationship, that the child could, could learn from the spiritual father. Not in, hear me, not in a weird authoritarian kind of way, but in a healthy authority, spiritual authority kind of way. As we saw, Paul calls them to imitate him. Paul calls them to listen to his instruction, to listen to his rebuke. Paul was acting as their one up, church. He was saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. And so we asked a few weeks ago, church, who is your one up? As Paul puts it, who can... Um, call you child? Who do you see as your spiritual parent? Here's a good question. Who can speak to you with this much honesty in your life? Who could rebuke you like this? Who could you take that from? Do you have anyone in your life like that? Do you have a one-up? I encourage you again, find someone in your life who can be your one-up and who can encourage you and strengthen you in the faith because God does not design us to be lone rangers. And we have to get to a place, church, we have to get to the place where we can begin to lay down our pride, where we, where we can admit that we don't know all the answers, that, we're, that we need help, that we need to be discipled. 
because this is the way that God has designed us to function together. We need to lay down our pride so that we can let others pour into us. We are all called to this. So who is your one up? Next, your one down. Uh, for Paul, these Corinthians and, and Timothy, who we're going to talk here about in a moment, were both one downs. They were people that he cared about, uh, who he cared for, who he loved. For Paul, the, his relationship with Christ was not just this, this personal thing about all about his growth and about his happiness. No, 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 no. Church, for Paul, it was about making much of Christ and leading others to do the same. Paul's relationship with Christ was about pouring into others. Who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? Who in your life are, is just a few steps behind you that can come around you and or that you can come around and that you can disciple? Who is your one down? And lastly, who are your many around? In verse 15, it says, for though you have countless guides in Christ. Church, we are privileged to be in a community here of countless guides in Christ, and you need that. You need spiritual parents, spiritual kids, and countless guides that can be in that that yet you can be in relationship with, in community with, that you can know and that you can be known. You need this. Who are your many around? And hear me, church. Do not be fooled. Do not be fooled. Just because you have many sitting around you right now does not mean you have many around. Proximity does not count in discipleship. Because community takes a commitment. It involves letting others get to know you. It involves being okay with, with inconvenience and uh, the messiness. I mean, here's what I'm asking. I'm talking about having multiple relationships with sinners. Church, it will be messy. It's going to be messy, right? But church, oh, it is worth it. Church, get in a community group. Get connected with friends. Have friends in your church community. Develop your many around. We need this. This is our one up, one down, many around. And I want to invite you to join us in this because this isn't really a program uh, for you to kind of come and attend. It's not like the one up, one down, many around program. No, it, it's, it's a lifestyle for you to live. And imagine if we lived it together. That's the discipleship process that we see here. Next, I want to talk through the tough discipleship conversations. Tough discipleship conversations. And I want to just tell you something, get the cat out of the bag right up front. You ready? Discipleship relationships will involve difficult conversations. And if you are not willing, if you are not willing to, to have difficult conversations or to receive them, you 
are shortchanging the discipleship process and you are stunting your growth and the growth of those around you. Paul rebukes this church because he loves this church. I mean, listen to this. Who says this? Verse 21. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? What do you wish? Do you want me to get the belt? That's that's basically what he is saying here. Do I need to get the belt or are you going to listen to me? (laughs) It reminds me of my children, not because of that, um, but it reminds me of my kids because I rebuke my boys. Not because of how much I love rebuking. Because I don't. It's actually terrible. (laughs) I rebuke my boys not because of how much I love rebuking, but I rebuke my boys because I love my boys. And I want what is best for my boys. Paul rebukes this church because he loves this church. And these were tough conversations. They were confrontational. And remember, we all love being flies on the wall, right? We love that. But here's the thing about discipleship. Discipleship is not about being flies on the wall. It's not about just coming and watching as discipleship happens. Church, this this is one of the major shortcomings of the American church. It's that too many people come and watch as one guy, disciples. And we've gotten good at this method. Churches have grown because of this method. We love this. There's only one problem. This is not the call of of Christ for his church. You are not called to come and to watch as one guy disciples people. You are not called to come and to watch one guy as he is the one who has to have all of the tough discipleship conversations in your community. You are not called to come and to watch like a fly on the wall while discipleship takes place. That is not your calling. Discipleship calls us to get off the wall and to get involved, to engage with your one up, to pour into your one down, and to get involved in your many around. And as we do this, I promise you, church, as we do this, as we get involved, we are going to have opportunities for some tough discipleship conversations from time to time. Paul rebukes this church because he loves this church. Have we lost the courage to rebuke? Have we lost the courage to be rebuked? Have we lost the boldness and have we lost the love to have relationships like that? Church, I want you to think about something. Can you even remember a time recently when someone rebuked you? Anyone? Think about it. Can you remember a time recently when someone rebuked you? So one of two things is happening here, church. Either either you are no longer in need of rebuke in your life. You've kind of got to that to that that perfect state, right? <laughs> but since we know that hasn't happened, right? Or 
we as the church have a problem lovingly rebuking each other for the good of the church and because of our love for God and for each other. And I have a theory. I have a theory. Have you ever been around a child who, uh, who, is, who you've seen just has never been disciplined, has never been told no to anything in their life, has never been disciplined? Have you ever been around a child who's never been rebuked? And have you ever seen when like a teacher or let's say you uh, step in and try to discipline them? Have you been around that? Do you know what happens? They lose it. They're like, what? It's, it's so foreign to them. And they think, what is this? What on earth? What right do you have to tell me what to do? Right? It's like a whiny, a whiny kid, right? I have this suspicion that because we have lost the, the ability and the desire to lovingly rebuke each other, that now we are like that kid and we had, we don't know what it's like to be rebuked and to take rebuke. Discipleship will involve tough conversations from time to time. Are you obedient enough and bold enough? And do you love enough for these kinds of conversations to happen? Are you willing to have someone who loves you, who cares for you, maybe you're one up, look you in the eye and lovingly rebuke you and to swallow the pride and to listen, trusting that God is using them and to make you more like Jesus and to grow your faith. Discipleship will involve challenging and tough conversations. Lastly, let's look at the discipleship outcome. The discipleship outcome. Look at verse 17. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and and faithful child. There's that language again, child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Okay. We talk all the time about... um, disciples who then make disciples, right? That it doesn't end with us, that we train others to be trainers, that we disciple, disciple makers. And here, church here, Paul is exemplifying this. This is second generation disciple making right here. Amen? Paul pours into Timothy, who Paul calls a faithful child in the Lord, meaning Paul had poured into Timothy, discipling him in the faith, teaching him how to disciple others. And now church, he sends him out. This is second generation discipleship here. Have you ever experienced this in your life? Your call, your call is to go and to make disciples. That is universal as Christians, not optional, not suggested, universals, that that Christians are about making disciples. And here's the reality. When Christ said, when Christ said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, when he said that, here's the thing, it he wasn't only talking to you. He wasn't only talking to you. He was talking also to the person you're discipling. 
It's their call to learn how to make disciples of Jesus. And so are you engaging them and coming alongside of them to show them how they can fulfill that command in their life, teaching them how to disciple others, because this is the command of Jesus Christ. It is not enough for you and I to just become disciple-making gurus if the disciples we are making are not making disciples, because the outcome of our discipleship relationships is not just us just keep getting smarter in the faith or anything like, no, it is to teach and to train others to follow Jesus Christ and to teach and to train them how to teach and to train others to do the same. (laughs) We've said this before, but you and I here in, in North Central San Antonio, Stone Oak Bible Church are only here, are only here because Disciples made disciples who then made disciples who then made disciples and then who made disciples for 2,000 years until finally, finally, someone made a disciple who then discipled someone else who then discipled someone else who then discipled you. This is our story, church. Let it not end with us. As I said, the temptation. Church, the temptation is going to be that we're, we're going to want to place ourselves on the throne and use God to our end. Our default setting because of our sin and our brokenness is to think too much of ourselves, to think too little of others, and, and to make our God far too small. And the reason that we have talked about discipleship this morning, the reason that, that we see it here in this text is because Paul confronts this tendency, addresses this ten- tendency, and he addresses it through discipleship. And hear me, church, the way to confront this tendency in your life and in your heart is through discipleship, no matter who you are or how long you have been following Jesus. Hear me, you have not, you have not graduated from your need to be discipled. You are not too inexperienced to start discipling. And you, hear me, have not retired as a disciple maker. It's not a sign of weakness, church, for you to ask to be discipled. In fact, it's actually a sign of pride for you not to ask. Church, this is so important for us. And I want to finish our time together uh, by praying for us. Church, I am so tired of church culture that tells you and me that it's okay for us to just come and to sit and to soak on Sunday morning. I am so tired of a church culture that tells us that we can sit and spectate and that somehow that is a viable option for discipleship because it's not. You and I are called to engage. We are called to make disciples. And as a Christian, it is not optional for us to say no, because this is our mission. And I'm asking that you would engage alongside of me, alongside of everyone together, to engage in this mission. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, you are king This is about you. This is about your kingdom. 
Lord, would you forgive us? And we try to place ourselves on the throne. I thank you for your gentle rebuke because we know you rebuke, you discipline those you love. Now, Lord, we pray for boldness. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now for courage and for passion to step into the ministry that you have called them to. Lord, we know, we know we are not perfect. We fail that we sin. We know that we let pride creep its way into our hearts. And so, Lord, we are grateful that it is not about our perfection, but Lord, it is about your son's perfection on our behalf. You are good and you show grace and you, and we know that we are yours for all eternity and that nothing through Christ, nothing can separate us from your love. God, would you give us the courage to walk in obedience and lead us as we make disciples of Jesus. And we know we know that you hear, that you listen, and that you will answer this prayer. We know this, and we know this because we know that this is your will. So help us grow our confidence. We pray in confidence. In the name of Jesus, amen.